metal, wood look, mosaics, natural stone, marble, and specialty tiles. Bath and shower fixtures, grouts and grab bars, electric floor heating systems, and installation by Nappy's in-house team. Nappy Tile and Marble, State Highway 23 in Oneonta. Open Tuesday through Saturday, 607-278-6411 or nappytileandmarble.com. N-A-P-P-I tileandmarble.com. Caldwell Banker Timberland Properties, with six offices located throughout the Catskills, serving buyers and sellers of land and homes for over 40 years. Timberland Properties agents live, work, and play locally, with offices in Margaretville, Stamford, Roscoe, Delhi, Sydney, and Boyceville. Timberlandproperties.net, 845-586-3321. What the soap? WTS and Company in Prattsville for soaps and lotions made on site, locally handcrafted candles, pottery, jewelry, art, and gifts, and a hand-picked selection of books on homesteading, nature, and local history. WTS and Company in the Prattsville Plaza and online at whatthesoap.com. O'Connell and Aronowitz, attorneys at law since 1925. For legal representation from the routine to the more complex, committed to the fair treatment of all individuals. Family law, wills, trusts, and estate planning, litigation accidents and personal injury, constitutional law, Medicaid planning, elder care, and health law, criminal defense, not-for-profit and entity formation, commercial financing, O'Connell and Aronowitz, Attorneys at Law, 518-462-5601, 518-462-5601, oalaw.com. Hi, I'm Joyce St. George, host of Music Matters, Friday morning from 10 to noon, right here on WIOX Roxbury, community radio live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM, MTC Cable Channel 20, and WIOXradio.org.
right, you're listening to WIOX Community Radio live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM. MTC Cable TV Channel 20 on the campus of SUNY Delhi at 107.5 FM. Worldwide at WIOXradio.org and on any mobile device FM radio app. This is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and Zane. Zane's on tonight. How you doing, Zane? Hey, Ryan. How you doing? Okay, what have you been up to? Been meeting with members. A lot of beautiful days lately. Nice sunny skies. Talking about a spring ephemerals earlier. Seeing some trout lily out there. Yep. Uh, last weekend I went for a walk and uh, found some leak, leaks are out or ramps, whatever you want to call them. So I uh, took the bulbs off. You know, obviously they taste like garlic. So I got to chop those up uh, tonight or tomorrow. They're powerful. Yeah. I usually like uh, ripping off a couple leaves of trout lily if there's a lot of them. They're pretty tasty. Yeah, a little sweet. Yeah. You got a kind of unique taste. Yeah, not bad. Saw some Dutchman's breeches out tonight. So your spring ephemeral flowers, wildflowers, those were one of my favorites. They look like uh, Dutchman's pantalones, breeches. Yeah. Blown up cool. pants. Yeah. Like white stuff. flower, right? Yeah. And then there's squirrel corn. Looks pretty similar mm. to that. But um, what are we talking about tonight? Talking about trees near your home. Trees near your home. Yeah, so not not as much of a forest-related topic, more of an arboricultural tr- topic. And, you know, when we're not here on from the forest radio show, uh, Catskill Forest Association, we get to visit a lot of members' properties throughout the six counties of the Catskills. And often it's, hey, is this tree healthy? Is this tree hazardous? You know, is this tree going to kill me? Is this this a quote-unquote good tree, right? Yeah, that's where a lot of consultations start is those trees around the house before you even get into the forest. Those are ones you're seeing first. Those are ones that you're thinking about. Um, You want to get a professional in there to uh, inspect them. Yeah, so a lot of time, labor, money goes into trees near people's homes. Just, you know, planting them. Let's not even talk about the price of a tree. And, you know, if you had someone plant it, it could be 300 to $600 to plant a tree or more, depending on the size. But it's also the labor um, and time it takes for a tree to grow. So, you know, it's kind of better to do it right the first time. Sure. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. All too often we see suffering trees near people's homes. And... The tree was maybe planted properly, but it's suffering for other reasons. We might call those cultural reasons. We'll get into that. Then we'll try to, you know, talk about tonight what makes a tree hazardous. So a lot of these can be prevented or improved upon pretty easily with just a little forethought, you know. Yeah, a long-term view of the tree you're planting. How big is it going to be? You know, where's that tree going to be when it's mature? Um things to think about for sure before you start planning so tonight's little brief outline um you know can't go into all this too much but um what makes a healthy tree is the first part matching your tree to your site right are you and your tree a good match residual tree maintenance okay i already have trees how do i take care of those larger more mature trees new trees i want to put in some new trees 
How do I do that? We'll talk briefly about that. And then at the end, we'll talk about some of our services, Catskill Forest Association services or programs that might benefit you. So what makes a healthy tree? Uh, yeah. So you got to know what tree you're talking about first. Um, so you got to identify that tree. You look at things like leaves, flowers, fruits, nuts, cones. And when those are present, you look at other things like the twigs or the buds or the bark. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing to pay attention to is, well, let's see here. Structure and the canopy, right? Well, first of all, you got to know you got to know what your tree is. Okay. Yeah. So, that's the first thing you got to know is what, what is you, what, what are you dealing with here? Yeah. Absolutely. And a lot of that is going to be determined by the structure in the canopy. So, how does a tree eat? Un unlike you and I, we can go to the store, right? But a tree can't. So, it has to make its own food photosynthesis so you're looking at the crown if a tree looks like a little bitty q-tip crown probably not that healthy mm -hmm. all right it doesn't matter how much you try to help it along fertilizing putting nutrients a tree needs sunlight carbon dioxide and water and if its crown's not big it's just not going to grow that's number one number two what are we looking at after that we're looking at the structure so that's how the branches are kind of structured on the tree or aligned if you have a big co-dominant leader with included bark where they're growing into each other two leaders, mm. that tree is is hazard. It, well, not hazardous. It's, 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 it's a defect. It's a place where it can come apart. Yeah, it's a weak point. Yeah. It's a liability for the tree. Yeah, good structure on a tree. You look at the branches. You look at um, that aspect ratio. Are the branches uh, on the tree, are they... Uh, they the same size as the stem, or are they smaller? There's a certain uh, ratio of the size of the branch to the stem that makes a strong attachment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so those are things to think about. Um, let's see here. Tolerances. So we've done with the structure. Anything else? Oh, you know the thing I want to say about a healthy tree is sometimes you look at the growth rates. We've done this on mm -hmm. apple trees a lot. If a tree um, isn't growing at least five six seven inches from last year's growth something's wrong it should be growing that much each year it's either not getting enough light something is wrong about the site it's too wet they won't grow if it's too wet yeah if you can reach the twigs and you can see them um looking at that uh growth rate it's always a good sign uh, to show members when you're uh identifying trees and trying to look at their health um, yeah, it's it like six inches is pretty pretty average for for a healthy tree. It's doing pretty well. If it's yeah. less than that, if it's real stunted, um, something stressing it, or maybe it's just old. Yeah. So I jumped around here, but yeah. So crown foliage and structure. Just to recap, avoid Q-tip trees. Aim for a central leader tree. If in a perfect world we'd have a central leader tree, right? Just one leader in the middle, and nothing competing with that with that leader. Uh, we'd prune in the earlier stages if we could. It's better to prune a younger tree than when it's older. You start making four-inch diameter cuts on a tree. You know, you might be exposing heartwood, and mm -hmm. defect is going to go into the tree and cause problems. Um, remember, the crown is how a tree eats. It's that live crown ratio. You're comparing the trunk to the to the foliage. And um, 
What else? Yeah, that's it. So, okay, what else makes a tree healthy? Tolerances. This is so important. This is this is where kind of forestry starts bumping into arboriculture a little bit because we start seeing how trees relate to one another, mm-hmm. right? So we're leaving the individual aspect of arboriculture going into forestry. But tolerance can be shade, soil moisture, hardiness, soil, wind, salt. All these things, they matter. But probably the most important thing or that we see when we're at a person's property is what for tolerance? What do you think? Probably shade tolerance yeah. these days. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, how often do you see, I don't know, a maybe a river birch or some fruit tree, whether it's a flowering crab apple or a true apple tree or a service berry or an oak tree, and it's just getting shaded out because mm-hmm. it doesn't have a high shade tolerance by hemlock or a maple tree, right? We see this all the time. Yeah, those, those trees would be intolerant of shade. They need sunlight. That's where they're going to grow. They're going to grow out in the open, um, usually towards some sort of structure or house. Yeah, we're not going to prune a shade intolerant tree to make it to improve its structure if it's not getting enough light we'd just be taking away the tree's capacity to feed itself. Mm. So we're probably not going to do that. So shade is very important on how they relate to each other. Um, I just mentioned this, shade and succession, right? If we do nothing to our forest, we talked about this a million times before and from the forest, the forest will go towards more shade-tolerant plants. Well, if you have some oak trees you like and they're growing underneath hemlock, a very shade-tolerant tree or sugar maple or American beech, your oak, your oak are going to start going backwards, right? So what else? Um, gray birch, right? A lot of times you'll see gray birch running away from a maple forest. Yeah. You know, they're, they're tra- arching towards the sunlight to get away from those maple trees. The maple trees are growing straight, but the the gray birch are shade intolerant, so they're, they're arcing. They're arcing away. Yeah, when trees grow in angles like that, it's uh, a lot of things can compound very quickly. Um, snow loading can happen. Ice loading can happen. That stresses, puts a lot of stress on that root system, that stem, and uh, it all is uh, um, has its origin in that sun intolerance. About drainage, Zane. What what are? Give me like uh, some 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 trees that are not tolerant of wet sites versus some that are. Well, I always think of sugar maple. You never see sugar maple in a poorly drained site. Never see oaks in a poorly drained site, um, hickories, um, cherries, black cherries even. Ash you will sometimes, white yeah. ash. Now here, this is the thing, and let me back up a second. This is tolerances. This isn't necessarily what trees like. People confuse that. Oh, willow likes a wet site. No, willow can tolerate a wet site very well. It gives it a com- competitive advantage over sugar maple. But if a willow would love to grow in well-drained site, it'd do just great. Yeah, we all have our limits. Yeah. This is, these are the things trees, some species can put put up with, some can't. Yeah, exactly. Nope. Black gum. I mean, there's a tree, Nyssa sylvatica, that can tolerate wet sites. You find it up on the mountain on the Shangam Ridge near where I grew up in these uh, these these swamps. These mountain swamps growing next to red spruce in, in places. And some of these black gums are old. They're hundreds of years old. It's pretty neat. But they can take it, you know. 
Yeah, they have a gives them a kind of a unique structure too. A lot of trees that uh, are growing in these wet, poorly drained areas usually have unique root flares. They almost look like like reinforced, buttressed roots because uh, the soil is just so soft. They have to completely grow a different type of root system just to stay anchored. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, because you know, a wet site is that doesn't have much oxygen. A lot of people don't realize that trees. They do need oxygen to respire in the roots. In their crowns, with photosynthesis, they need carbon dioxide. It's the opposite. Compacted soil. Tree that comes to mind, the best tree if you have clay that gets compacted, or if you have urban soils like in New York City or Kingston or something, Papa. I mean, I'm sorry. Jeez. Pin oak. Pin yeah. oak, man. That tree can take urban sites. So if you have clay and you can't grow anything, plant a pin oak. It'll do just fine not just compaction it's it's salt tolerance especially in the northeast here um just a lot of salts in the road and during the winter um and that uh can really affect a tree's growth other salt tolerant species is uh red pine oh it's salt tolerant yeah austrian pine too yeah and that's funny because white pine is not yeah you know you see it on the 28 corridor when you're going up the high mount and uh you're going up the hill so you'd be going eastbound You'll see white pine. It looks like it's almost burnt, like it's brown. The uh, needles from salt spray. Every year you see it. Yeah, it's the same. I mean, trees dehydrate the same way we dehydrate. If we have a lot of salt in our diet, it's it's pulling water out of our cells. Um, same with the tree. It's just pulling water away from the roots. That osmotic pressure. And then there's cold hardiness, which is, people are more familiar with that. Certain trees being more cold, hardier than others. You know, pawpaw. I, I love looking pawpaws, up your zones. Yeah. Gotta, okay, what zone is this? Where Take it with a grain of salt, though, man, because they get our zones all messed up, right? Yeah. It, it's it's, there's no area. way that they'll show southeastern New York being in one zone. It's like, okay, well, we know the Catskills are in there at 4,000 feet. And a lot of people like here in Roxbury, Delaware County, we're at 1,400 feet right here. Well, that's a lot different than... Where I live at 880 feet, mm. than Kingston at 200 feet. So I don't, you know, you gotta kind of. Sometimes I feel like they generalize our zones, you know. So Kingston could be a zone 5B or something, if I had to guess. And then you know, up here in uh, Clarieville, Ulster County, at 2,000 feet, maybe they're a zone four. I don't know, but it can be, it can vary that much. Aspect north facing versus south facing that matters a lot. So all those things, yeah. especially in the mountains, right? Wind damage. Wind damage. I want to say about a tree that comes to mind when you think about wind. I just uh, think about willows, just a big uh, willow crown swing in the breeze. Yeah. This presentation is built th- that we're given tonight is based off a of PowerPoint I was, um, I'm going to be doing soon, and it has a picture of a willow. Yeah, it's all cracked. And uh, they're just flimsy branches. It was not even yeah. at unions, just just breaking in the middle of a branch, you know. Yeah, they've ever the ones I've seen. They just seem to grow really fast and just uh, crumble, collapse. Huh. So it's not certainly not a tree you'd want near your house. Maybe next to a pond, but yeah, not one near the house. Silver maple is notorious, mainly because it always gets you know um, branches, co-dominant leaders all over the place that uh, end up being structurally you know structurally weak Mm. so that's something 
So recap, tolerances aren't necessarily what trees like, but instead what they can tolerate. We already talked about crown foliage and structure. So, so far for knowing what, you know, what a healthy tree is, we have covered tolerances. Um, the most, one of the most important things is crown foliage and structure. Uh, one more thing to talk about whether a tree is healthy or not is know thy sight. Right, the sight matters. It's a commandment. Yeah. Know thy like sight. I always found, uh, and I've learned this the hard way, is ask who cuts the grass. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when I first moved to our property in, in uh, Town of Olive, I planted trees. And a lot of them, some of, a third of them died because I didn't know the site. You learn really well when you mow the lawn all the time where every single wet and dry spot is. And most of the trees that died or were subpar are growing in the sites that I found to be wet, <laughs> yeah. especially in a clay site that I have. But what do you think? Yeah. I mean, even after a, a long rain, just walk out there and uh, yeah. see after, I don't know, four to six hours, uh, well-drained soils would uh, drain really well. And uh, if it's squishy, if it's soft out there, it's poorly drained. Yeah. You know, I know it's tempting to just plant trees the first year because, you know, everyone knows trees grow slowly, right? So get them in the ground, you know, and mm. so they can grow right away over time. Maybe take a year off to get to know the site. Cut, just cut the grass. I know it's counterintuitive. You're like, grass, trees, they don't really mm. – what they have to do with each other because you're going to get to know it. So I wish someone told me that. It would have saved me a lot of time, a lot of time. Anyway, so wet – is usually too wet is usually the problem than too dry in our area mm. so it's counterintuitive we get some of our members at the catskill forest association come from the west or drier areas and they think well you, you plant a tree in a wet site and, and that makes sense you would think but mm. actually we get a lot of rain here so they drown the roots yeah drainage is key we also want to look at where you know look up when you're thinking about a planting site, is there wires there? Yeah. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. We'll get into that. Like, yeah. you know, how, how big is this tree going to get? So that goes, good segue into the next thing. So we talked about what makes a healthy tree. The second part is matching you and your tree, like you just said. Uh, are you going to plant a Norway spruce under a power line? Probably not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it, not unless you want a decapitated tree later on. And sometimes people say, well, I'm not going to live long enough. I'll be dead by the time yeah. that tree well, – then why plant the tree underneath the power line? Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. what's the point? Just, you know? Just going to get topped, and that's the last thing a tree wants to happen to it. Yeah. Because all that investment into the structure uh, is just gone. Right. I mean, you know, think about what the tree looks like as a mature tree. Um, a lot of these nurseries on the tag will say how big big and wide, tall and wide the tree gets. You know, pay attention to that. So size constraints, matching you and your tree. Think about the size constraints. Planted with consideration to future size. Number constraints. This is probably one of the biggest problems with people planting trees. Too many trees too close together. So, and, and when that occurs, they are susceptible more to more susceptible to insects and diseases. Uh, we see this a lot with spruce, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, crowded spruces. Uh, um, just planted too close together. Um, now you just plant trees that are just going to compete with one another. 
they're intolerant of each other. The same size tree, they're just going to keep growing straight up. Um, and spruce in particular is susceptible to a lot of fungal diseases. So you've just created this perfect environment for fungus to build up because uh, it's shaded, it's damp, there's no airflow. Um, and then it might not be a problem in the first, what, 10 or 15 years, but after yes. that, you're going to start to see needles drop off, uh, those inner needles drop off, and um, you're wondering what's going on with your trees, and maybe you should have uh, thinned them out early on. Yeah, I mean, um, anecdotally, I feel like people who have Norway spruce trees that are well-spaced and mm -hmm. they prune off and elevate the crown, I feel like it improves air circulation. They seem to do better. Drastic measures, yeah. Um, things that people are reluctant to do. You know, these trees are planted, they, they, provide, they provide privacy or a windbreak, but um, they're suffering. So you might have to take drastic measures, yeah, raising that crown, cutting the lower branches, or cutting a few in between and giving spacing to the best one. Yeah, so spacing, um, pruning, those are cultural remedies. I would do those be first before doing chemical. A lot of times we'll get called mm -hmm. to a person's house, <laughs> what can you spray on this tree? And, you know, as much as people like to sell chemicals and stuff, it's like, well, we could do that. But I think you're always going to have this problem with the spruce gall delgia because the trees are too close to each other. <laughs> Maybe thin out the trees first. Leave behind the trees with the better canopies. We just talked about that. What makes a healthier tree? Leave the trees that have better structures. Let's talk about quality over quantity. You know, make sure the tree's getting well watered during drought. Maybe mulch. That wood chips might help for spruce or hemlock sometimes. Then, okay, last resort, we got a, you know, it's got hemlock woolly delgia. It's an invasive insect from Asia. All right, well, that attacks healthy trees even. Mm. All right, let's, now let's declare war on it. Yeah, quality over quantity, that's a, that's a good motto. But yeah, these cultural uh, treatments you can do or decisions, things we, you can do um, that change the conditions that create the problem, whether it's disease or uh, site compaction or salt, you're, you're just trying to change the conditions um, to rectify that. Absolutely. So, okay, you got the size constraints under control. You got the number under control. But does the tree even meet your goals? I mean, some people, they're weird to me, but they don't want an edible tree in their yard <laughs> because they don't want bears, they say. Yeah. All right, fine, to each their own. Maybe you don't want an apple tree then. Um, sometimes they want to see foliage. So red maple is actually better than an apple tree because red, you know, apple is very susceptible to what? Leaf diseases. And it yeah. might lose its leaves. So red maple in that case would be better because it turns a beautiful red foliage. Maybe it's for wildlife, um, other aesthetics. So I guess we could back up here. What's considered like a large tree and what's considered like a smaller, medium-sized tree? Yeah. Well, I mean, I very rarely ever recommend any tree that could reach your house near the house. But if a 10-foot-tall tree can reach your house, not a big deal because it's not massive. In terms of just breaking off at yeah. the base and just falling straight towards your house. A large tree is one that can grow over the house, I would say. Um, you know, usually like... A large tree is about 50 to 80 feet, you know. That, that's At what least. I would consider a medium to large tree. Yeah. Uh, less than 50 feet, not too bad. You can have a large tree. Any large tree is always going to be a hazard, and we're going to talk about this next, what makes a hazard. 
Um, but, you know, any large tree. It can fall in your house, you know, you know, act of God, wind, whatever. Um, but it can be made less hazardous if it's pruned properly. And planted and, properly. Yeah, and planted properly. Yeah. yeah, roots become an issue later on if it wasn't planted properly. We know this. Yeah, thinking about if you... Uh, maybe there's a future building site. Maybe you want to put an extension on your house, and now you're trying to work around this tree that uh, is uh, matured and's grown there. Um, things to consider. Let's talk about one more thing before we take a break here. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, six to seven p.m. with Ryan and Zane. Tonight's topic is trees near your home. All right. So, what makes a tree hazardous? We get this question a lot. Is a tree with poor structure and crown in the forest preserve hazardous? No. Probably not. Uh, hikers may not like a tree that could potentially land on them, but you're a moving target. The chances of it hitting you, it can happen, but it's extremely unlikely. Yeah, use that word chance. Yeah. I was looking looking this up because, I don't know, I just like words and distinct differences and the meanings, but... Um, hazard, the difference between a hazard and risk. Um, hazard is the potential for harm. Things have the potential for harm. So you like driving a car. Um, but risk is kind of the chance that that harm might occur. So driving a car in a snowstorm, uh, you know, you've increased the risk that some hazard might happen. Um, same with trees. Uh, yeah, trees aren't inherently dangerous things, but depending on where they're planted or their condition, they can have a greater risk of a failure of harm. Yeah, size, species. What's what's a tree that comes to my mind near a house that's hazardous? I don't care how good it is. <laughs> I know this one. I'd say the eastern white pine. Yeah, eastern white pine. It's a big sail or mast, rather, in the wind that's there all year round especially in the winter when the hardwoods have lost their leaves and now mm. the wind's directly blowing on it. And it not only can have whole stem failure, which is more unlikely, but branches come down like a spear from 80 feet and go through your roof. This yeah. is a hazard. Yeah, because your house doesn't move. So you have a permanent target or property. It's a hazard. Yeah, I mean, those trees can get well over 100 feet in some places. Yeah, man. Yesterday, we were up putting a... Uh, canopy bird feeder in woodstock and i was almost at the end of my line so i was about 70 feet and the tree was way higher than me mm. so that was that was probably about a 100 foot tall tree almost almost yeah maybe maybe 85 90 feet yeah right along the driveway there yeah it doesn't look like much when you look at it from afar but it had those lower branches it had uh those nice lower branches with good aspect ratio a nice straight stem uh, help dampen any wind, so uh, that help reduce risk for sure. You want yeah. to keep those lower branches. Keep the lower branches; they dampen the movement. You don't want to create a lever. Um, so, yeah, species matters, size matters. If it has poor structure, now it's more hazards. If there's targets under it, right? The same white pine that we just talked about. If it's near the East Branch, Delaware, with no houses around it, it's not a hazard. It's a benefit. Maybe it's an eagle's nest. You know, they love those. They love putting their nest up and high up in those uh, white pines. White pine's a great tree. Don't misunderstand. But if it's near a house, I don't know. It's a stately tree, yeah. But, uh, yeah, hazards because of targets. There's yeah. targets around. Right. If there's no targets around, there's no hazard, there's no risk. 
if the, a hemlock tree, which is usually not as hazardous, but if it's been defoliated by hemlock woolly adelgid or elongate hemlock scale for you know three to eight years, well, it's becoming hazardous. Mm. If a tree, as I saw yesterday, a hemlock, they dug a ditch to put in the sewer, the uh, septic tank completely strips all the structural roots on one side. Mm. And thankfully, this tree wasn't leaning towards the house. But say they took off the holding roots and your house is on that side where it could fall. Mm. Is it hazardous? Hell yeah, it's hazardous. And this one was through the power line, the service line. So I would say that tree's hazardous. It needs to be removed. Yeah, it's where a lot of this kind of detective work comes in for people in the tree care industry. Um, you start asking questions about the site. Was this a newly paved uh, driveway? Was there a septic put in here, a pipe put in here? Um, you start seeing that uh, reflected in the crown, condition of the crown. And that's information that you got to ask the landowner or the homeowner to get. Mm-hmm. And it starts to paint a picture in their minds what's been going on underground here and uh, what's the condition of this tree. So we mentioned uh, compaction before and sugar maple not being tolerant of compacted roots. Mm. And by the way, you have up to 10 years sometimes to realize that a tree is not going to survive compacted roots. Anyway... You can read about this stuff, but I always say realizing it, observing it, and actually experiencing it are different things. So there was my best sugar maple tree I used to tap um, on a person's property above my house, right? It was right next to their driveway. This tree was awesome. It would give out two gallons of sap per day or more, overflowing, and sweet. I tested it one time. It was, you know, it was over 2.5%. Probably crazy had a lot tree. of sun there on one side. Just a crazy tree, man. You know, on steroids. Just, just you know, full crown, giving me tons of sugar. They put in a new blacktop driveway. The next year, the tree just quit. I mean, it quit. It mm. stopped giving sap. And this year, I didn't even tap it, and the crown is receding. And mm. now the landowner, who I, you know, I've gotten no while, she, she came out and was like, can you remove that tree at some point? So that's where we're at. So that took two to three years, four years. Yeah, even uh, especially with blacktop, even if the compaction wasn't that much, it's the drainage now. All that water is hitting that surface and washing away. So that r- whole root system went from getting a lot of water yeah. throughout the season to getting none, maybe just pushing it to the edges. So you'd basically turn off the tap on a tree like that. Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention, I don't know what the heat does. You know, I don't know much about blacktop. It doesn't. Yeah. probably not good. I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that. But if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Tonight's uh, topic is trees near your home. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back. Shadow. 
All right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and Zane. Tonight's topic is trees near your home. Uh, following the outline, we talked about what makes a healthy tree. Then we talked about matching you and your tree. And now we're going to talk about residual tree maintenance or the trees that are already there. A lot of us, unlike maybe in other areas, in more suburban areas or whatever, urban areas, um, we already have trees there. Usually a lot mm-hmm. of people's houses are right in the woods. comes with a tree. Yeah, it comes with – there's a lot Few of trees. Of <laughs> yeah. You know, they punch the house into the woods. and What do you do with these trees? So – are they competing for sunlight? That That's usually the biggest thing. And, and as we stated earlier, knowing your trees. So I wrote an article years ago about maple and oak don't mix. And this is probably one of the most common things you'll see on our consultation remarks after visiting a property is overstory of more mature red oak trees, say, or white oak, and a midstory of red maple and hemlock out-competing mm-hmm. the oak trees so if that continues over time the oak trees will recede and you'll have this ladder of death that climbs up the crown of the oak tree as the maple and hemlock grow ladder of death ladder of death (laughs) now that might be fine in the woods you know if you don't you know if you don't want to help out wildlife with acorns and all right all that then maybe it doesn't matter but if it's near your home Hmm. and now you have you know dead branches looming over your house from the oak or you like the oak and you're not sure about cutting the maple and hemlock well it's that quantity over quality or quality over quantity thing again right yeah cultural decisions um two trees that uh one can tolerate shade one can't um it's up to kind of the landowner to make a decision about which what does he want to promote yeah so before investing in, say, that oak tree, or maybe it's a cherry tree, or it's a uh, river birch or something, or gray birch, before pruning it or doing anything, think about how it relates to other trees. That's where I would start first. Mm-hmm. Then after that, let's talk about pruning and maybe putting wood chips down or stuff like that. Because otherwise, if it's not getting light, again, trees make their own food. You can put down all the fertilizers and nutrients you want. If it doesn't have sunlight, it's not happening. That's the fun part, you know. If you've got to release it from competition, it means you got to cut some trees down. you got to get the chainsaw out. Yeah. you got to go to work. That's right. Uh, you can put down mulch, moderate soil temperature and, and um, moisture. That helps. Um, not too much. There's drainage issues. Sometimes, um, as long as you don't cut the roots... You can drain an area if it's too wet. That can help, you know, especially for trees that are intolerant of poorly drained sites, right? Like apple trees. Yeah, can't put up with moisture. Yeah. I don't know. What else about residual tree maintenance? Well, we can start talking about pruning. Yeah. Prune them young and prune them little. That's right. So pruning. Aim for a central leader. The, the reason you talked about – can you talk a little bit about aspect ratio? You, you, you talked, you've mentioned that before. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to, I don't know, convey over the radio. But imagine, I don't know, if our bodies were constructed differently, if our, I don't know, arms were the same size as our legs or if our feet were 
same size as our fingers. It would look kind of weird, but humans have a certain ratio of, of their limbs that is just a natural ratio for how we I don't know, live and move in the world. So trees um, have a certain ratio as well that gives them strength, um, that gives them kind of staying power in the landscape. Um, that's you know a central leader because trees are kind of simple organisms it's a central leader um, and uh, it's scaffold branches these smaller branches along the stem because um, the stem you know the tree is just a stem and those branches are basically little trees off of that major stem it's just branching and branching and branching and there's a certain ratio uh, of size to of the branch to stem that is a very strong form well, if your arm was the same size as your torso, it wouldn't be a good union. Yeah. You know what I mean? It would be susceptible of, of not being able to lift it. Yeah. But your arm is about the third of the size or less of your torso. That's the most strongest aspect ratio on a tree when it's like a third, less than half the size of the main leader. It's extreme because every year the branch and the main stem are growing into each other, strengthening. Mm. But when they're the same size, that doesn't happen as much. So they're like, so next time there's a storm damage, see where the trees break. It's always at those high, what, what would you call it? You call that high aspect ratios, one to one. Right? Yeah, so like two, like a two liter stem, basically where it goes up and it splits between uh, two stems of the same size. Right. That would be very, I guess that would be low aspect ratio. Yeah, yeah, I'm all confused myself. But yeah, if it was an eight-inch diameter limb going into an eight-inch diameter limb, that would be bad. Yeah, right. It, it would be better if it was an eight-inch and a maybe a three-inch branch Br- branching off. off of it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, so it'd be you know high aspect ratio, and you, even then you don't want to go too high. You know, you don't want a pencil coming out of a eight right. diameter tree. Um, but yeah, once you have that low aspect ratio. You get these kind of inclusions. Um, this co-dominant leader that's now just has this weak point in the middle. Um, it's just growing and expanding. Um, it's usually something very common you can see uh, point out easily to the member. That's um, it, a weak point. Um, should have been pruned out when it was young. Yeah, we're going to target branches with um, that are over half the size of the main leader to reduce them or remove them branches that start low in the crown or canopy and and start to go high up and compete with the main leader that's what we're going to target so if it's a hazardous tree but you can't live without it and it's near your house another option is to reduce its height and width Mm -hmm. if you can reduce not topping we're not even going to get into that but just reducing its height and width in an appropriate way it's going to be more you know stable all right um Let's go to cabling because, you know, we only got we only got about 12 minutes left, believe it or not. Uh, cabling. So if there's a double leader stem, sometimes, you know, once it gets over four inches, you can't just remove that leader to make a central leader. Sometimes you're stuck with it, right? It's an old tree. It's got two 12-inch diameter leaders. We're not going to remove one. We're going to introduce too much decay by doing that. So we cable. So that's another option to protect residual trees. Yeah, you have a hazardous tree. Cabling helps reduce some of that risk, the chance that it might cause harm. Cabling helps to do that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The other thing. Okay, so we've done all the cultural things. We pruned, we cabled. We got emerald ash borer, right? It just The problem mm. with those that insect is that it, it attacks perfectly healthy trees. That's what makes it so phenomenal. 
So that's where we might do chemicals in that mm. situation. That's a last resort. Bring out the chemistry set. That's right. Dutch Elms disease, spruce gall adelgid in some cases, not all. A lot of times spruce gall, spruce gall adelgid can be maybe remedied by cultural things. Hemlock woolly adelgid, elongate hemlock scale, emerald ash, borer. Those are things that come to mind in our neck of the woods. Yeah. Helps reduce risk. Helps buys you time. Um, yeah. Okay. And the last one. Is removal. And arborists or tree guys, you know, you can't blame them because removal is the surest way to reduce risk. Yeah. <laughs> arborists like it because, yeah, they want to save trees. Arborists do like to save trees. But no one ever wants to tell you, well, there's some risk to this tree. A lot of times we're in a very risk-averse culture, I would, I would argue, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And what's the surest way to remove risk? Reduce, remove the tree. Zero tolerance. You That's reduce right. that risk down to zero. Right. But now the tree's removal. gone. Yeah. Tree's gone. So there you go. So that was residual tree maintenance. All right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is trees near your home. We first talked about what makes a healthy tree. Then we moved on to matching you and your tree. And we talked about residual tree maintenance, and now we're going to shift gears to new trees. Yeah, new trees. So this is this is the best time to you know think about your trees. Yeah. Because you're start be thinking with. about them. Start thinking about the site. Right. Some of these things are going to reiterate what we already talked about, like quality over quantity. Right. What else? Yeah, look at look at the sites. Look at the uh, drainage of the particular area. If it if it's a nice uh, space in your lawn or your um, that you want to plant a tree, um, look at its drainage, and that'll tell you what trees you can plant there, what can't. Um, it's going to show you what what can be tolerated in that particular spot. Um, big common mistake is people plant trees and then they change their mind. They extend their house. They put in a septic. Mm. They a power line goes through or a power line's already there, the tree grows up. These are things that can be avoided. All right. Too close, too deep. Let's talk about that. What do I mean by too deep? Yeah, digging the hole too deep. Uh, a lot of people have recommended, you know, when, when we're planting trees that they go, you know, go get their tractor and they'll they'll dig a big uh, hole for us with with the bucket of the tractor and uh not you don't need to do that. Just shallow and wide is better. Yeah, as, as deep as what the root ball is going to tell you, really. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the most accurate is, you know, where is that first lateral root? That's how deep it's going to be. That's it. Yeah, the width is, is really the thing. So that is the that is something I learned the hard way. Too deep. You might get away with that in well-drained soil, maybe. If you have soil that I have that's clay, you will not get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um... What about root pruning? You know, a lot of people buy container trees. I like container, but there's there's some things you got to do, right? Yeah, root pruning. It's the same principles. You don't. I mean, you don't want to prune a central leader on the roots, but you want to uh, avoid kind of curling roots, kinked roots, circling roots. These are things that um, are just not going to be uh, corrected with the site. You have to prune them out at planting. Makes a big difference. But I could see yeah, where people are reluctant to, you know, take this tree that they just bought and pulled out of the pod. Now you're you're messing with the roots. You're messing with what it uses to uh, to feed itself. But it has to be done. 
this is the best time to prune it. So remember we talked about double eaters, and you can't do anything about it once the tree grows up. If someone had just taken that same huge 70-foot-tall sugar maple and when it was younger just did one snip, it would avoid so yeah. much future money and cost and hazard, potential hazard with those double eaters. Just one snip, this is a good time to do it. And trees heal, or they seal rather, much better when they're younger. You know? Yeah, if somebody does it for you, probably won't notice it after uh, three or four years. It'll just be sealed up and uh, enveloped by more tissue. And know that, you know, we talked about tolerances before. So if you know your tree species and now you know their tolerances, it just doesn't make sense to plant a fruit tree where it's going to have shade, right? We know that fruit trees, for the most part, don't have much tolerance for competition. Yeah, a lot of people think you can kind of fit, you know, fit something right here. Will have enough sunlight. If you really want to invest in a tree, you want to give it everything it needs. And for shade intolerant trees, you want to give them full sun. Yeah, at least four to six hours of full sun. In the plant kingdom, plant world, trees are the hogs. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. If you're if you're looking at planting a site. You think about the trees first because they're going to dictate where sun is and isn't mm. the most. And then go down from there and can of in, in plant layers, you know, mid-stories, ground covers. The trees are going to dictate it the most. So think about the trees first is what I would argue before the shrubs, the shrub layer and all that. Mm. That's the way I would think about it. Um, how about protecting your precious investment from yeah. other things? What about protection? Well, we know what what does all the eating out there, all the browsing is the deer. And, uh, yeah, for a tree that is less than, than five feet, it's got those lower branches, which we want to keep, you got to protect it. Like a deer fencing, uh, T-posts around it, um, raised up usually so you can ac still access the base and weed and mulch and check out the root system. And um, for an extra security, just a little uh, protection around the stem itself to keep uh, voles, mice, rabbits away from that. Yeah, there's a guy uh, who taught me this tree planting technique with a four-foot fence. And you raise it up on two T-posts, two feet. Mm -hmm. So now you're covering from two to six feet. Well, that took care of the deer problem. But even better is that now you can access weed control, as you just said. Yeah. And if you have too many weeds in there when it's young... What habitat is it good for? Well, another herbivore, the vole. And the vole will hide in there and will escape predation from hawks and stuff. They don't like bare areas. So the first year or two, it's very important that the tree is kind of weed-free. Mm -hmm. After that, grass, you know, as Ed Gilman says from the University of Florida, he's like, you know, in America, wood chips is a big deal. In other parts of the world, he said, they, they plant in grass. It's fine once they're mature. Yeah. Um, you know, when they're younger, okay. But, but yeah, he's got a point. He made me think about that. I was like, yeah, because in, in, in the UK and stuff, I guess they do more grass than wood chips, you know? But. Oh, I always push chips. Oh, yeah. I, I'm back by Absolutely. Big, I'm back by big wood chip. That's right. You're, you're, you're being paid by industry. But. I just think it looks nice. Uh, you know, there's just so many benefits. There's really no downside unless you're putting chips right against the stem. Yeah, especially for for a nice tree that you know you invested money in, it's just another way to uh, secure your investment. I just think. don't keep adding wood chips every year like I did, because what will happen is you'll create a soil, and now your tree's too deep again. Yeah, <laughs> right. Keep them away from the stem. If anything, yeah. you can just kind of uh, turn them up a bit, kind of 
mix them, I guess, toss them a bit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest, and tonight's topic is trees near your home. And uh, we cover what makes a healthy tree, and we cover matching you to your tree. You know, are you guys a good match? Is this really, do you really want a big Norway spruce growing 10 feet from the house? Maybe not, maybe so. Um, taking care of the trees near your house, residual tree maintenance, and we talked about uh, new trees. And last, we only got about two minutes, we have CFA programs, Catskill Forest Association. Um, we do do some of these things, and we started doing them because we can never find people to do them. So Zane administers and runs our legacy tree planting program. Yeah, big trees. Yeah. Big trees in the landscape. That's Look, right. Those long-lived heritage trees like a sugar maple, red oak, beautiful trees to have in the landscape. Sycamore. Sycamore, yeah. Yellow poplar. Oh, yeah. Lovely yellow poplar. Or tulip poplar. It's the same tree. Tulip tree, yeah. Yeah, man. Those are good ones. Red oak. You know, we need more of those. Uh, we also have the tree care program, which is a two-part program. That would be tree cabling and the structural tree pruning program. And we have the tree saver program, which is, you know, chemical injections like for emerald ash borer and basil bark sprays. That would be for hemlock oleodelgid, elongate hemlock scale. So, um, upcoming events that have to do with that is Tree ID. That's June 25th. And a tree planting demonstration, right? Yeah, in Fleischman's Park, September 10th. Yeah. We're going to be planting uh, three sugar maple trees. That's right. We do, a fall, we do it backwards. We like to plant in the fall. I'm not going to say which is better. I have found personally that people are more relaxed in the fall. Mm. In the spring, everything's growing. You're in a rush. you got to cut the grass. You're losing your mind. Yeah. All the things that were messed up from the winter, <laughs> they yeah. get rushed. The trees are like, oh, the trees are here. Let's just plant them right away. It's like, well. <laughs> yeah, planting in spring, you got to think about your watering schedule. Are you going to be there to water it? Are you going to water it frequently, once a week, once a day? Um, things to think about. Yeah. Planting in the fall kind of buys you more time. And also carefully think about the site. Get used to that site. Is yeah. that where you want that tree? Kill the grass during the growing season or the summer. So, and then a uh, structural tree pruning demonstration. We're going to do that July 9th. But um, that's, believe it or not, that's all the time we got, Zane. Well. All right. It's a fast hour. And uh, see you next week with Mr. Mead, Mr. Gary Mead. All right. Have a good night. Good night, everyone. Oh, the neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow. The water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow. His eyes were red, his hopes were dead, and the wine was running low. And the old man came home from the forest. His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street. A dozen faces stopped to stare, but no one stopped to speak. For his castle was a hallway, and the bottle was his friend. And the old man stumbled in. Delia IOX is supported by you.
and the following underwriters. The Mountain Eagle, the community newspaper and website serving the Catskills region, covering Delaware, Schoharie, Green, and Northern Ulster counties with local reporting, regional events, school sports, letters, and features. All in the Mountain Eagle. Diamond Hollow Books in Andes for secondhand vintage and new books focused on literature and the arts. Earth Wisdom, Emily Dickinson, Dante, Dillon, Asian Classics, and Mycology. Diamond Hollow also purchases quality used books. Open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 10 to 6 by appointment or anytime the front door is open. Diamond Hollow Books on Main Street in Andes. DiamondHollowBooks.com Restless Works, a contemporary architectural interior and graphic design studio specializing in residential, commercial, and hospitality projects. Based in Andes, Restless Works designs new homes, additions and renovations, kitchens, hotels, restaurants, and studio spaces throughout the Catskills, the Hudson Valley, and New York City. More information at 845-676-6190, 845-676-6190, or RestlessWorks.com. Hi, I'm Kent Garrett. Get to know the last Negroes at Harvard. There were 18 of us in the Harvard class of 1963. We were born in the 